You're listening to the CapEx Big Question podcast, where we're joined by other investors, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs discussing global game-changing trends and burning topics that keep investors up at night, one question at a time. Hello and welcome. This is Chris here. I've recorded for you an insightful conversation with Eric Stettler. I first met Eric last year when diligencing how best to participate in Colombia. And he's been a wonderful resource for me, as well as a very valued colleague ever since. Eric is a director of Social Adam, a tech incubator with offices in the US, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, and Argentina. He is based in Medellin, Colombia. Prior to joining Social Adam, Eric interned with Nassim Talib and cut his teeth in the financial crisis of 08. And we discussed the implications of the current funding environment and how this impacts young businesses with respect to those events of 2008. I'm sure you'll enjoy the discussion that I had with Eric. It'll give you an insight into some of the opportunities that we're taking advantage of with Serif. Enjoy. Eric, great to have you on. It's good to chat again. It's been a long time since we were last caught up in Medellin last year. Thank you. Likewise. So today what we're going to, what I'd like to discuss are concepts that brought us together, brought Serif together with you guys. Um, for all full disclosure, we're invested into a fund that you have, which we can speak about a little bit in a minute. What I think is really prevalent in terms of where we're at today on a global macro basis, we have this fairly significant risk-off environment whereby capital is con- constrained. When that happens in the venture capital markets, it has a significantly greater impact than it does in the public markets because of the lack of liquidity. That's something that you guys are keenly situated to actually take advantage of, um, which again was one of the main reasons, um, not the main reason, but certainly a prevalent factor when we looked at what you were doing in Colombia, which I think is really interesting. We'll discuss it in a minute. The, you know, this, is a, this is a concept we've been talking about with our portfolio companies that we knew it was coming. We knew that the signs were there that you were going to have this curtailment of capital into the, the venture capital space. We just didn't know exactly when, but we could see that the, all of the signs were there. And now we're in it. And I think it's um, an ever more prevalent time to be talking about what it is that you guys do, because survival, of course, is first and foremost important in the in today's environment. And I think that the structure that you guys have got allows for that to be more likely. So if you want to give me a quick, give readers or listeners a quick rundown as to what you guys are doing, I think that would be really helpful. Absolutely. And thank you so much again for having me. Um, I think that the thesis was born out of the single biggest problem that global tech startups are facing, not just in emerging markets. In fact, in the United States and Western Europe, which is a city like New York is perfect for clients and raising capital, but it is a brutal place for a startup to scale out their product and engineering team. There simply aren't enough high-level engineers to go around, and it is an absolute bloodbath in terms of the costs and the effort and then the retention, the expected retention for, for the top startups in places like the United States to build their team. So we are the first fund that can pair these companies with the top 1% of engineering talent in Latin America. And what's great about Latin America for the U.S. startups is we're talking about exactly the same time zone if they're in New York, um, and obviously a very small difference if they're on the West Coast. 
Um, these engineers are fully bilingual. They usually have a decent amount of experience working with U.S. companies. So this is not outsourcing. The, the phrase we use is talent arbitrage. This is high-level, targeted executive recruiting for VP-level or sometimes even co-founder-level uh, engineers who then take ownership of scaling out the team in a country like Colombia, where I'm based, or, or Mexico, or, or other, other countries in the region. So that was before this year. Um, and it's a, it's a very powerful model because no other fund, to try to put it in one sentence, no U.S. fund has access to Latin America's talent pool, and no Latin American fund has any access to the U.S. markets. So if you visualize in your head those two puzzle pieces of the U.S. with the big dollar sign on it, and then Latin America with the, the talent, we put those two together. And then as you mentioned, of course, this year, uh, I think put that even into even more stark relief in that now the capital markets are a little shaky and I'm not in the business of predicting the future at all, but I expect them to be volatile this year due to the U.S. presidential election and, and various other kind of larger scale factors. So all the startups in, again, places like New York, Silicon Valley are being told the same thing, which is keep your head down, keep your burn rate low, survive. And those who survive are going to be the ones who can then consolidate the markets once their competitors have unfortunately not been able to make it through this. So now more than ever, I think for startups in places like the United States and Europe, they need to learn the value of recruiting globally. And likewise for startups from emerging markets like uh, Latin America, who have uh, suffered problems with, with their currencies recently, with the dollar being so strong, now more than ever, they need to realize the importance of selling globally in U.S. dollars. So we invest in both types. We do invest in some startups that are completely from Latin America, so long as they are going global from day one. And these are not Latin American startups. It's just the global company is just, by the way, the team is, is from there. And then we uh, have a very special deal flow from the U.S. precisely because, unlike just about any other VC, we can put the founder in front of this lineup of engineers very quickly, um, five times faster, and obviously much more affordable for a startup at around the seed or Series A level. So that's what we do. It's actually not, to be clear, we are not an emerging market fund. We are, in, we are here for the most valuable resource in the region, which is the talent. Can you give me a sense of how skilled that talent pool is? You know, I think there's a common misperception around emerging market talent. And, you know, I've had conversations with people where they equate, for example, Colombian talent with, um, you know, Bangladesh or Philippines. And um, it takes a little bit of a, a conversation to be able to explain to them that that's not quite the case. Yeah. So I think to areas in the world where the average never applies is anything involving venture capital and startups and then Latin America. So we're not working with the average talent here. We are matching the absolute top 1% of the talent pool with the top companies from the US. When you get to that level, we are talking the same quality or better than they can get in the US. And this is not just me speaking. This is Experienced, uh, these are experienced Silicon Valley or New York founders who have echoed these sentiments, who have done recruiting in both places. So the short answer is as good or better. 
Um, obviously, I'm speaking about a very specific group when I say that. We are not working in the middle here. We are we are getting the absolute elite. So why don't we drill down into that, Eric? Let's discuss, shall we, one of the portfolio companies that we have that we, we are both invested in, um, both by via the fund as well as individually. Yeah, um, Stabilitas. So we've got there a company that's US-based and they've picked up talent pool out of Medellin with your assistance. Do you want to drill down into that yeah. a little bit? I think, yeah, I think it provides a good example. Yes, it, it definitely. So Stabilitas is um, a security, a personal security app, uh, both for, for companies, for organizations to track where their people are and um, what is going on around them and then various ways to check in with them. Like, are you okay? So anyone who uh, may have been on Facebook in the wake of some of the recent attacks in, in Europe, for example, might have seen Facebook put some features like the ability to check in. It's that except on steroids. The founders are former commanders, um, elite military commanders, uh, U.S. Special Forces, and they are bringing the technology that they saw and that they had available to themselves as special forces in the Middle East to uh, private, private sector organizations. So the CTO of that company, um, who I think is in his mid-40s and has been programming since he was six years old, six, uh, and who is a major in the U.S. Army, has echoed exactly what I said previously, which is this, this is as good or better than I would have gotten in the United States. And the entire, these guys did it right. They came to Columbia for a while to work with us for the final interviews. So they were very involved and they had experience recruiting. Um, it was a few weeks process for, to get their team leader. And they got someone who had been previously had a, had an amazing job for a U.S. company that I won't name, but everyone's heard of it. And, but this person was really looking to make a real impact and to feel ownership, both in the philosophical and the economic sense of what he was involved in. So uh, now they have two people. They're in the process of actively recruiting more. And it was just a few months ago that, uh, that their first team member landed here to begin the process with us. So there are investments, ours and, and yours, are going to have many times the impact in terms of what they can do with the product as a result of these people. And what I like about the way they're doing it is that they're not thinking of it as there's the the Latin American team and the U.S. team. I think as we speak, I think both engineers are actually in Seattle with the, the CEO working on some things. And this, uh, likewise, the CTO is planning to come here in a while. So it's a very coherent, uh, sorry, coherent, cohesive unit. And that's what's great about Latin America is, again, same time zone, not that far. So you don't sacrifice the kinds of things that you might in terms of coordination if you're dealing with, uh, with Asia, for example, from, from the U.S. And let's, I mean, one of the main topics here is a, is a reduction in burn rate, right? The topic that we talked yeah. about before with respect to a curtailment of of capital available and very dire need to survive. And um, what on a do you have any sort of metrics across the multiple companies that you've been involved with in terms of what that typical cost reduction could mean for a company? So, if we're hiring, for example, somebody at that level of shall we say you know CTO level, what as a comparison with 
say Silicon Valley or New York, what can we expect as a cost reduction? Sure. I would say it's about one third of the rate that it would be in a place like Silicon Valley or New York. Um, and that's being, that's being generous with the salary. And we, of course, encourage our portfolio companies for many reasons, unless they are in a real cash crunch uh, to, be, to be generous. Um, so I would say about a third. And um, obviously, again, it's tough to speak of averages. Sometimes it's, it's uh, a much better deal for the company. Sometimes, um, for various reasons, uh, it could be a smaller differential. But to give you an idea of the cost here, uh, in Medellin, where I'm based, which I'm sure people have heard of it, it's previously, in our lifetimes, the most dangerous city in the world. And now seen as one of the most innovative and forward-thinking cities in Latin America. It got the Innovative City of the Year Award from the Wall Street Journal in 2013. Um, my apartment is about 350 U.S. dollars a month, and, and it's a nice place. Like I, I didn't need that. I could have gone for the $200. So that's to give you a sense of the cost structure here. So you can live quite well for, well, you can, you can extrapolate in your head what you need to live quite well here. So... Usually the question is, you know, especially if it's pre-Series A, what do you need to live fine and to not worry about expenses? And then later on, of course, with a subsequent funding round, we can maybe, we can, you know, start pumping you up. But that's another great thing it offers is that flexibility um, in terms of the needs right now versus maybe expectations in the long term. So my short answer, I'll say a third, um, but there is maneuverability in both directions, uh, of course. Okay, so a third is a good number. I mean, if you're looking at it from a perspective of having the same amount of capital available, presumably you could hire three times as many, uh, three times the talent. Yes, um, and I also want to emphasize that the burn rate, of course, especially this year, is is extremely important, but it's also a question of speed. So as I mentioned with Stabilitas, when it's done right, it can be a matter of weeks. Um, versus in New York, it can be a half-year process um, involving you know, contracting a headhunting agency who then usually takes a substantial upfront retainer, no matter what the outcome. Then you hire them, and then there's the question of time on the back end, which is how long do they stay with you? Um, we have another portfolio company called Alfie, A-U-T-H-Y, which is a great example in contrast to Stabilitas. This team is entirely from Colombia. But they went to Y Combinator, the number one accelerator in the world. Uh, they were selling their cybersecurity offering globally. They raised millions of dollars from the Valley, and they were acquired by Twilio. Um, and Twilio, seeing that the Authy team in several years had had zero turnover, zero, in their entire team in Bogota, which is unheard of in the U.S., uh, made the decision to start scaling out their own to scale out that team, the legacy Authy team in Colombia. So that's a very important validation from one of the most prominent uh, companies in California right now, that they like what they see, not just in terms of the quality and the cost, which are obviously world-class uh, and, and highly bene uh, beneficial, but in terms of the fact that these people were staying with the company for the long term. And it's tough to, there's nothing worse when you're a technology company and all of it is, the value of your knowledge and technology to start losing top-level people to a company like Apple or a competitor. So it's the cost and definitely speed in terms of hiring and uh, and then expected retention. 
so Eric, I'm going to dial the clock back a bit. What actually made you go to Colombia? Given, like, I mean, I know uh, yeah. we, we discussed this before. Your background was actually dealing with a lot of the major crises in the global financial markets and the dot com yeah. collapse and the subprime crisis. I, so I thrive in You pick them. Um, yep. Given that sort of background, um, what made you actually go to Colombia in the first instance? And yeah, I will. I will. So it's not a. There's no short answer, which I think is a good thing because that means it's not that I took a vacation here and said, "Oh my God, I just want to stay here." Or it's not that I had burnouts in New York or anything and said, "I just." It was a very long process of. Um, I I went to. I did my undergraduate studies at a school called Pomona College in Southern California. So obviously, you got to travel uh, through Mexico and Latin America a bit. Um, and, and it struck me during that time that I, I saw both the scale of what is right next to the United States, but also the scale of the kind of lack of understanding on, on both sides of the border on the, the opportunities for this kind of business, for high tech business. And anyone who's been reading the headlines, uh, and please don't, by the way, <laughs> uh, regarding the U.S. presidential election in the last couple months could see, you know, the U.S. and Latin America could do with a little more mutual understanding in that regard. So after my undergrad, I, I went to New York. Um, Latin America was always sort of there in the back of my head. Um, and I worked, uh, yes, I worked as a statistician to help uh, companies deal with black swan events. Uh, black swan being uh, Nassim Taleb's uh, reasonably famous term now for rare high impact events like the 2008 crisis or the dot-com collapse. Uh, I had the, the, the dumb luck uh, of basically working under him uh, all throughout college during, I had an extended internship in his hedge fund. So I learned directly from Talit on the, the dynamics, the statistics of, of rare events. So, um, which is ironic as his whole philosophy was about how dumb luck affects your life. And for me, it was actually meeting him that kind of affected my life in that regard. So I did that for a while in New York. I learned a lot, but, um, during that time, I also met a, a startup in New York that was from Latin America looking to make the crossover to the U.S. markets. So I worked with them for years while having my day job as sort of an advisor for fundraising and sort of everything pretty much in terms of the, entering the U.S. markets. It was a huge success. And that made me realize uh, that was when it finally clicked many years later. Um, this is cool. But building new things is great. And what I love doing is being at the intersection of a great Latin American team who has something to offer the United States and in so doing to change so many people's perceptions of that part of the world and the relationships we can have, both business-wise and culturally. Um, so one day I thought, you know what? Um, I think in 2008, you know, that crisis finished. So I thought, okay, my job is done on that. Um, maybe I should just do that all day. So um, I went, did my MBA up at Harvard and um, just to turn the ship. I mean, that it was a means to an end. Just to give me two years to get my bearings on what to do, and then I picked Colombia through for various reasons. Uh, you know, I wanted to spend time on the ground in each country before I picked one. I'm a statistician. I love, I crunch the numbers as well, certainly, but I wanted to get a sense, like where does it feel? And I think you guys, I, I hope you guys saw that when you uh, when you visited uh, with some of your members. Like you can tell walking around, like that we're in a very important change moment here in Colombia. So. So I picked it, and, and the rest is history, basically. So I, sorry that it's a long answer, but the point being, it was a very long and in-depth process for me that led to this, and 
you know, I've been here for several years at this point. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a very substantial thing for it. Right. No, a long answer is a good answer. And that's, um, well thought out and well explained. I think that the, the, the culmination of your talents then, you know, what we saw when we went to Colombia just, it, it resonated. You know, we actually, it's interesting because we went initially, um, looking, not only for tech talent, which we knew existed to a certain extent, but we also specifically started looking for real estate. Um, we'd, oh. heard, we'd heard a lot about um, you know real estate opportunities, and we looked at that and concluded that it was a dangerous um, yeah. investment to make, predominantly due to what we saw coming in the currency markets. And the way essentially to hedge what we saw, which was a... Um, a falling value of the Colombian peso against the US dollar, the best way to hedge that and to actually accelerate or take advantage of that was to get involved with exactly what you guys are doing. So you've got this incredible talent pool, which was pretty mind-boggling to me when I first looked at it, and then looking through the portfolio companies that you have and then those that we've been introduced to and, and even invested in. It just, um, it was was like a light light went off in my head. And it was very clear to me that not only was that a a, a particularly attractive model at the time, and that was, what was that, August of last year. Yep. Today, it's an even more attractive situation. I mean, I remember when we first, when we hit ground, we were around about 2,600 to the dollar on the peso. Yeah. And yeah. today we're sort of, you know, hovering between three thousand, three thousand three hundred, and so you know that's that's a fairly significant difference, and and it's helped us, you know, to have that that currency structure. Yeah, our, our portfolio is EBITDA margin just went up thirty <laughs> percent basically yeah. over the last uh, the last six months. So yeah, no question. The structure that you guys have is is really quite unique. The talent pool that you've managed to pull in is is really unique do you want to give a little bit of insights to your partner in the business as well and and you know how how did you get introduced into and how is it that you got to running social adam yeah sure so i met i met andres barletto in late 2013 i after finishing my mba i literally bought a one-way ticket to Columbia. Well, actually, for legal reasons, it was a round trip, but I had no intention of using the return flight. Um, and I met Andres uh, exactly at the moment that he was looking to scale his angel investing activity into a, a fund. So I was lucky in that regard. Andres uh, was a serial entrepreneur, and I think one of those people who will always be an entrepreneur at heart in that he is always, you know, he's got that Terminator vision of, of seeking out problems and thinking, how do we fix this with technology? Um, he had, uh, he was from Colombia. He, he left with his family, um, uh, during the nineties when, you know, when it was a very different time, uh, in this country and, uh, to Miami and he began his, his entrepreneurship work there in, in Florida. The, the school that he went to was in Gainesville, Florida, which is, uh, you know, barely even on the map basically, but there was a great engineering talent pool there because of the local universities. Um, so his first his first startup, Groove Shark, which was a music streaming service, uh, which was you know your classic dorm room startup, basically. Uh, they used the local talent, and that allowed them to scale to I think the number is thirty five million monthly listeners uh, with very little outside funding, very little. So then he started to think, wait a minute, if if you can do this here 
in Florida, where, you know, lots of Latin Americans there, certainly, but what if we, what if we went right to the source in terms of part of the world of 700 million people, there must be, can we do that talent arbitrage and start building globally from there as well? So he, he began scoping out, uh, the, the talent, uh, you know, the talent scene, the startup scene, the VC scene in, in Latin America. Um, I'll give you the, the following sequence of events that led to the venture fund. And this, I think, illustrates the Terminator vision thing. The first problem he realized was there was no TechCrunch type. Like there was no central online platform that actually spoke at all about the ecosystem of Latin America. So he founded that. So he founded what is effectively the TechCrunch of Latin America called Pulso, Pulso Social. Um, the leading startup and VC uh, sort of new news platform. Um, but then he encountered another problem, which was that uh, something called the iPad got invented and it looked terrible on the iPad. So he began building things to make it look better on the iPad, which led to his next company, OnSwipe, which uh, began, I think it was used by one in three tablets in the United States uh, by the end. Uh, and it was acquired by uh, by Beanstalk, Beanstalk at the end of twenty. Uh, I think it was about a year ago. Um, and that was basically to make uh, for responsive websites. So basically to make web content look good on tablets. Um, during that time, he also wanted to uh, um, expand its reach in the markets of Latin America uh, once he had sort of consolidated the U.S. market for OnSwipe. And there was no PR company for tech companies to expand in the markets of Latin America. So he founded that. So now the Social Adam PR company, which is a separate entity from the venture fund, is the leading uh, PR group for uh, tech companies looking to expand in the markets here. So they have had, as clients, they've literally had the who's who of um, Uber, uh, Airbnb, Google, uh, Netflix. I mean, any any company like that looking to expand here. During that time, he, of course, uh, you know, he entrepreneur at heart and he was starting to have some of his own capital from all this. So he began uh, being an angel investor. Um, and one thing he had noticed most of his, for example, on swipe, uh, was, was mostly Boston capital, uh, cap funds in Boston, uh, that is. And he noticed that these are obviously insanely sophisticated funds, but they were having trouble getting him engineers because it's Boston. And so you're up against the other Boston startups, uh, who are also very well funded. Um, so he thought what I should do next is help startups do what I did with all my companies, which is that talent arbitrage. So that was when finally, when the executives were in place to manage these other companies that he had founded to sort of plug the different holes in, in the ecosystem in Latin America. Oh, and somewhere along the way, he founded a nonprofit also called Coderize, which uh, teaches young children to code uh, in Latin America as well, which is doing, it's both doing well and doing good at the same time because, you know, it opens up. Uh, literally speaking, uh, the world to these to these kids. Uh, if they have a computer and internet connection, they can work for the top companies in the world. Um, and also for our portfolio companies, they always need the next generation of of engineers, uh, you know, ready to recruit. So he decided, okay, now for my grand finale, having done all of that, it's time to think about investing, like on on a larger scale. Luckily for me, that was the moment that I met him. Um, I had landed in Colombia to meet with with various, you know, to explore various opportunities. Um, and he told me, he said, you know, I've done all this. Um, and now is the final part, the final piece to the puzzle. 
Um, now that all the, the talent infrastructure, the media, everything's there, it's time to scale my angel activity into a fund. Um, so, you know, I asked for 24 hours to think it over. I ended up needing, I think, three of those hours to before saying yes. And uh, we've been working together for about uh, two and a half years so far. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not even 30 yet, by the way. <laughs> so it's like, just one of those guys who, you know, just every everything he encounters, you know, it's like, oh, there's a way to found a big company that right. solves that, basically. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There are unique kind of people that when you do meet them, you, um, you very quickly understand their value proposition and um and if you can you engage with them and and yeah work with them uh, it's, absolutely it's, it's you know during and he's of, also oh sorry go ahead i was just gonna say during sort of 15 years on my professional career you know you, you can count on your hand you know, a dozen of people like that that you that you get to and yeah. there, there are just you know the value that they bring is of such such scale. It's it's really on the distribution curve. You think about eighty the Pareto's yeah. law. You know you're you're at the far end of that particular distribution curve. Um, Absolutely, and that's that's what it's all about. Yeah. So and and he's an example, I think, also of um, this interesting phenomenon that we're seeing more of. You know, he, he's from Colombia. He grew up in Bogota. Uh, he left under very unfortunate circumstances back you know back when it was a very different country. And just to be clear with your listeners, like it, that. That is history. It's recent history. It's important history, but it's a very different country now. Um, but but he, he still maintained that connection with his home country. And he wants to, you know, he can always just raise more money and do another startup in New York. But he wants to also help give that opportunity to people from his country um, and Latin America overall. We are we do invest across Latin America. It's not just Colombia. Um, right. And we're seeing more of that, of, of young people who, who left, who had to leave for various reasons. They were educated abroad. Uh, they worked in New York and London and everywhere. And now they're coming back. And so there's this interesting dynamic that we're seeing more of. And in a perverse way, there's going to be this benefit to the country now that these people had to leave and learn from the best and now bring all that back here. You know, I, I, I have to agree on a long-term basis with you. And, you know, our, our set of members who we brought out to um, to meet with you and um, many other people there in Medellin last year, they got to see that the statement that you made, which is that Colombia is a very different place today. They got to see how true that is. And, and the, so the perception is still that, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, dark forgotten place and it's dangerous and all these other things and it's just it's just factually incorrect um yeah. and that's and that's where a lot of that arbitrage opportunity still lies oh, the, yeah. other, the other component eric of course is that on a long-term basis colombia has incredibly favorable demographics i think the average age is around about 24 26 and on the back of very low personal debt it's got um extremely high sort of literacy rate and talent pool i mean the amount of universities just in medellin is is quite stunning um, yep. and so you get um you get this clustering of talent and it's certainly taking place there and yep. i think you you guys are very very well positioned to take advantage of that and arbitrage it either way so it's a fascinating uh, structure it's one that we we loved obviously as, as we've invested into your fund as we've partnered on other deals and as we'll continue to do so the other comment i guess that i'd like to make is Having many of us all in the same room in a few weeks' time is going to be a really exceptional experience. Uh, both yourself and Andres coming yeah. out to San Diego. Yeah, looking forward to that. I don't know if you're aware, but Stabilitas are also going to be joining us. Yes, he, he told me about that. I, I knew that um, 
I, I figured, but yeah, I got the final confirm from it. That's awesome. I have not even uh, had a chance. I, you know, I went to uh, HBS with uh, the co-founder, but um, I haven't had a chance to meet uh, Greg yet. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a company which I think is just you know it's it's so well positioned in the geopolitical space that we're in today. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and I have to say, and to the listeners, Chris did not you know Chris did not tell me to say this. I really have to give Sarah credit for jumping on that one. Um, I cannot believe that they haven't just raised millions and millions from the top U.S. investors, uh, like the professional VCs in Silicon Valley, who just you know, should have caught that one because unfortunately, it, you know, the world needs them. I mean, the, look at the headlines. It, the risk and real risk is is more and more unpredictable and distributed and you can do so much more damage with so much less and the world needs that company and the team is an absolute, I mean, ex-special forces. They all went to, they all have Harvard master's degrees and now and they have clients and everything and I, I just can't believe that Somehow it didn't quite it's, fit it's, the models of, you know, it's, it's like maybe they should I mean, do virtual reality instead. I don't know. But well, look, like, Eric, I, I give you guys a lot of credit for, for jumping on that. It's going to pay off. Well, when you when you first look at it, you had like when I first looked at it, I was like, I sort of at, <laughs> first, glance, at first glance, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure I quite, quite understand this. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to have to spend a bit more than 10 minutes to, to sort of dig yeah. in. And the thing that kind of brought me across that first 10 minute line was that you had this company which is already producing revenues, has already got clients who are literally begging them for their product and to build that product and not wanting to help them in any way shape or form and you know it brings me back to this really important lesson that I learned years and years ago I was working at JP Morgan and one of the one of my bosses at the time he was a very gregarious interesting Australian gentleman who had sold his foreign exchange trading business to JP Morgan and would he'd, he'd wander into the offices in a, in a t-shirt and jeans when it was still very much a suited and booted affair and um just really didn't care what anybody thought and he could do that because he was you know um, worth so much money and they they were paying him to transition the business across in any case this this guy he, he mentioned to me this story once he said to me okay chris what do you do if you if you can see an opportunity and we'll take a a very granular sort of example let's say you can buy pair of jeans in Hong Kong for $10 and you can sell them on 4th Avenue for you know, $50. What is it that you do? And, I, and so I stupidly said to him, oh, well, you go out and you buy as many of those jeans as, you, as your balance sheet can allow and then you go and sell them. And he said, oh, you complete moron. That's not at all what you do. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what you do is you realize that you have demand, but you need to secure the demand. And so you go to you know Macy's or wherever it is in 4th Avenue yeah. and you say, how many, here's one pair of jeans, how many would you like? And if they say, for example, oh, we, we want, you know, 10,000 of them, now you simply have a delivery to order on. And that is a very different situation to arriving with 10,000 pairs of jeans and yeah. then having them turn around and say, oh, actually, no, we weren't really after them. So it's the whole risk proposition. And so when you look at Stabilitas, they've got this talent, this client pool who are saying, here, here it is. This is what we will give you. This is what we will pay you. And this is, you know, so go out and build it. And yeah. our intersection was this wonderful opportunity to come in and provide um, capital that was just, I mean, ridiculously low valuations to be able to provide for a service that we know. I mean, there's, there's just no question that the service is required. There's no question of what they will pay. And so 
you know, extrapolating out your cash flows on that is very, very different to a lot of the private businesses that you and I look at. Um, yeah. it, was, it was just such an easy, it was such an easy question to answer. And so, yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to be. Well, easy, easy for you guys. <laughs> like a, a lot of other people just didn't get it. Um, but now they're funded and they're doing great. But uh, Well, they're getting a lot of interest, yeah. interest now as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great yeah. to be catching up with them as well, getting a little bit more granular. It'll be fantastic for all, all our investors that have invested in the company to yeah. uh, to meet them in person as well. So Absolutely. really looking forward to that and really looking forward to meeting with Andres, who I've not yet met, and of course, catching up with you again and having a having a cold one or two. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I think, you know, meeting you guys is, has seriously been, I think, you know, you meet, you meet the most kind of forward thinking, interesting people kind of at the frontier, so to speak. And Latin America is the new frontier in many ways uh, regarding the talent opportunity. So, you know, it was really, it was one of the highlights uh, to, you know, be invited to your last conference and very much looking forward to the next one. And I think this is the future. Well, not the future. This is now, and it's only getting bigger. The forces of history are on our side on this in terms of this big transition moment for this part of the world that most of the world doesn't understand yet. So those who get it now are going to be doing very well. So, yeah, no, thank you for everything regarding that. Excellent. Well, until we meet again, Eric, thanks for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. CapEx Big Question Podcast is sponsored by Seraph, an exclusive, private, global network of individual investors and family offices dedicated to growing their wealth exponentially by investing in game-changing global trends. To learn more about Seraph, go to seraph.vc. That's S-E-R-A-P-H dot V for Vicky, C for Charlie.